<laughs> Welcome to Dragon Time. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> we we rehearsed that for about thirty seconds yep. before we did it. Everybody, it worked. yeah, it worked. it's pretty good. That was the first time though. It's uh, nailed it. It's done, done, and done. Have you watched Nailed It at all? Yes, it's so good. It's so good. I love that show <laughs> I so love much it too. because. Uh, well, I'm Greg Tito, first of all, and that's I'm Shelley Mazzanelli. Okay, good. We got that out of the way. Uh, we also have a great guest coming on, Rab Davio, Davio, lead designer of Betrayal Legacy and D and D aficionado since 1981, July. <laughs> July of 1981. Yes, you'll learn all about that. Um, But that show, Nailed It, on Netflix, is so good because not only is the content of it good, but they, I feel like, parody that whole format. Yes. A lot. Now, did you watch, uh, what's his name, Uh, uh, Master of None? Is that what it was called? Yeah. Aziz Anzar? Yeah. Okay. The show that he was on, on on the show? Yes. What reminds me so much of Nailed It. It's very much Very that. much, except yeah. not. It's that exact it. same yeah. kind of format. Like it actually could be that show. But right. anyway, I, I never not laugh my face off the it whole time. makes me giggle. The host is amazing. She's so funny. She's so funny. And uh, I really like the, the French chef that's yes. on there too, Jacques. Yes. Um, and they have these guest judge. And this is why I know they're, they're like playing with the format is because, I don't know if you saw this one, but there's a guy who gets a text message well, he's on the panel, no. and he's like, "Oh, I have like a babysitting emergency. Like, is it okay if I go?" And he left, and they left, <laughs> and they kept that in the show. And then he is like, and, oh, and, so the, and the host is like, "I don't know if he's Where coming back. I don't think he's coming back. We're good. We can do it without him." That's- and then he comes back, and it's like, "Oh yeah, there was a big you know kerfuffle, blah blah." blah. But they left all that in there, and I'm like, "That's that's so great." I love too that it's like, it's. You're watching people fail at something, mm-hmm. and you're laughing at it. Yeah, but it doesn't. It's not making. It's not mean, and it's not malicious, and it, you don't feel like you're making fun of people. Like they're because you're on there, obviously, because you know, the, you're not that good of a cake artist, yeah. so you're not gonna succeed. And yeah, they do that perfectly when they're like, "Here's it, I nailed it," and then they put the side by side of what it's supposed <laughs> and to look it's like. Actually, like kind of awesome. Like the worse you you are, yeah, the funnier the it funnier is. The funnier it is, exactly. But it's oh, it's so good. And it's very similar to what I like about Dungeons and Dragons in some ways because what is because I think the most fun and sometimes dramatic moments are when you when you fail. Yes. when you mess up, when you roll that one, right. You know, yes. that's when the most memorable moments, at least for me, yeah. kind of come. Right? I think so. There's definitely room for all the heroism yeah. and all the slaying of the dragons that and all that fun. stuff. But I love those moments of like, oh, nope. In our Extra Life game, I got, I was gifted by a donor one use of um, the Wand of Wonder. Uh-huh. Ooh, and I used it mm-hmm. in a pivotal moment. What'd you get? I grew grass. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, yep, yep, yep. That's actually way more awesome than if I did something that's, that, that actually was, helped the party. It's pretty much but a nailed it moment. But I basically like cushioned our falls when we were oh, gonna, like, see, and that's collapse. a good dungeon yeah. master, Adam Lee, for yeah. being like, oh, they made spongy yes. turf. Oh, there you go. So now you guys will take less damage when you yeah. fall down and die here. See, that's what I like about it because it gets right into cooperative storytelling, which yeah. is what it's all about. Yeah. So it's cool. So we're going to talk to Rob uh, Davio uh, about Betrayal Legacy. This is something that you've been working on for like a day or two. Just a few days. Yeah. Or two and a half years. Two and a half years? Really? Yeah. Wow. Our initial, 
Almost. Our initial email was like summer of 2016. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. The yeah. email where I said, you want to do Betrayal Legacy? <laughs> what do you think? Can we do it? Can we do it? I mean, if he said no, and then I probably would have been like, okay, let's find something else we'll to work something. on. We'll do a new thing. Because <laughs> who else would do it? Well, exactly. He's the perfect yes. choice. I would not I would have suggested not doing it if he wasn't the one I doing don't think it. I would have. I mean, no. It never really occurred to me that like he wouldn't do it. Yeah. So... I'm glad he said yes. He's all in. And now here it is, an actual physical game product. I'm touching it with my hands right now. Sounds so good. Yeah. (laughs) Do it again. Oh, it's music to my ears. Yeah. Well, next time we'll mic the box so that you can get the real. We could interview it. (laughs) Are you happy? (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about what's inside, but not a lot because it will spoil Stuff. Do you have stickers? No. <laughs> I mean, yes. You're not a real legacy game without stickers. You know what? We should. Why am I pretending? We should just interview the box. I know. It's very <laughs> interesting. Why is there a wolf on the cover? Because Shelly said so. Because it looks like my old mouth. Oh, and this box is now upside down, so I get in full view. Um, that there are oh. two little girls staring back at you, upside down, it's holding weird. hands, twinsos, reflection. Yeah, because there's only one looking into the pond. That's yeah. It's it's. Wait a minute. It there's a house <gasps> inside the wolf. Speaking of house, did we talk about the haunting of Hill House? No. Have we talked about that? No. Did you watch it? No. Why? I don't really like horror. Oh God, it's so good. Yeah. Oh my God. Is it creepy? Yes. Well, then, yeah. You can do it. You, you just got to plow through it. Because we, we get freaked out, too. But you just have to, like, accept it. It's not like... You have to? Yeah. Why? You, there's the story so good. Is it? It's just really well done. Mm. And I want to talk about it. I do want to talk about you, it. We but like horror. You might, This is... Betrayal Legacy is kind of dark. Well, yeah, but it's different because I'm playing a game. Yeah, like I'm okay with like horror in D and D games or 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 as a well, what's as a, as the a theme. If you're the theme of a TV show is horror. I don't know. I I just. Do you feel more control when you're in the game? Yeah, and it's not or like I'm just not. As I was scared. gonna say it's not as real, but it's not like I, I know that uh, 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 a TV or a movie is not real, but. But it's it's gonna it unwant it just hap- unfolds without you having. A part of it. Yeah. So you don't really know it. Plus, I watched Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, The Dream Warriors, when I was like five. Mm. And I uh, couldn't really fall asleep for like four days afterwards. Well. And then after that, I was kind of like, yeah, you know, I don't think I like those kinds of movies, Mom. I don't think I like trees anywhere near bedroom windows because of friggin' poltergeist. Right. I'm freaking out on it again. My wife doesn't even like when she sees a TV that's got, like, snow on it. Oh, yeah. Because of Poltergeist. Caroline, come to the light. I've never actually seen that movie. You've never seen no, Poltergeist? No, because I'm scared. I'm a scaredy cat when it comes to that can type we, of stuff. Can, you, can we make some kind of a bet where you are guaranteed to lose and you will have to watch a scary movie? That's not a bet. That's just you telling me what to do. Can we? Can I tell you what to do? <laughs> if you, uh, you know, commit to uh, writing a chapter back and forth with me in my fantasy novel. Yes. All right, then. Okay. Done and done. You heard it here first. But I want you to watch Haunting of Hill House. First? No. I'm going to hold that until no. we, our first book is published. I think you should do Poltergeist. <laughs> Just do it broad daylight. All right. 
It'll be fun. I mean, it's it's old enough now that it's it feels like I it's haven't a, seen it. I wonder if it holds up. It's a you know I'll show it to to, You've never to Fiona. Seen it? I mean, oh. I know what it is. I mean, I know some of the tropes of it because it's been around for so long, and that's why I enjoy <laughs> things like Betrayal Legacies because it like has a lot of those things, and I recognize them. Yeah. You know, I'm like, oh yeah, that's creepy, but I never really feel creeped out when I'm playing uh, uh, a game like this. Okay, well, you might with this. Yeah, the thing I always loved. Darker. The thing I always loved about horror movies was very D and D like. It was a whole misfit group of people kind of get yeah. together to defeat the monster, like that. I I liked and I always associate with, and that's when I wanted to watch uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three: The Dream Warriors because it's kind of like that but in those a way. Dummies always split the party, but then they split the party. They get tongue tied. It's very gross. Yeah, they fall down when they run. Always. Oh, I, I know, right? Yeah, and then that's like. All of a sudden, it's muddy. It happens in dreams. Who knows? Um, but we have a ton of D&D stuff that came out this last month. I know. A lot of Avalon Hill stuff that came out this last month. Yeah. We've been talking about it, I think, on all of these podcasts. If you go into a, a game store anytime last month, yeah. you were probably seeing a lot of ampersands. You know what's great is that I don't have to remember release dates anymore. Just release everything because we can just talk about what's out there, right? So let's, let's just, just real quick let's you, you do this all from memory at okay, this okay. point for things that you can now currently buy in game stores and everywhere else okay. that we put out. All right, yeah. We'll start with Betrayal Legacy, it's Dungeon out there. Mayhem, uh, um, Access and Allies and yeah, Zombies. That was mine. Uh, the, the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. Dice. Maps and miscellany. Yes, that's true. Uh, uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Um, uh, done. No wait, the water deep dice. That's right, water deep dragon heist dice. Uh, there is also the core rule book oh, sets. Right. Yep. Uh, both the standard covers, which are awesome, they have shiny foil shiny treatment on them, uh, and the alternate cover editions that are only available in game stores by Hydro Seventy Four. Those look gorgeous. As gorgeous. Well. Okay, and oh, I had I had a wait. No, oh, the ABCs there are of D and D. Yes, and one, two, three is a D and D. That was a gimme. Uh, and I think the one that we forgot was the Dungeon of the Mad Mage maps and miscellany. Oh, because Ravnica also has a, a maps and miscellany. It does, yeah. Okay, and Dungeon does too. Jeez, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah, that all is out there in the wild. I hope everybody's playing it and enjoying it. It's amazing. I mean, that doesn't even get into our partners' products. No. Uh, no, which is uh, Art and Arcana, uh, oh, yeah. the amazing book out there uh, tracing all the history of Dungeons & Dragons. Um, Beetle and Grimm's Pandemonium Warehouse, their Platinum Edition for Waterdeep Dragon Heist is going to be shipping out very soon awesome. uh, in the next week or so. Uh, if not already, it might already be out there. Um, and uh, Matt Forbeck's Endless Quest books. Uh, those yeah. are fantastic. There's four of them. Uh, Bob Salvatore's Timeless. Yes. Also yep. out there in the wild for all of us to enjoy. Uh, we didn't get him into the video games, but we're just talking about like full-on things that you can buy. So much. Yeah. I, I'm exhausted from having to remember all those release dates, but I'm glad that I don't have fun, to though. anymore. There's a lot of them. That was a good back and forth. There was a good back Kinda and like forth. like writing chapters of books. It's just like writing chapters of books. Totally. Uh, as well as doing uh, game design sequentially and uh, isolating the systems. Right. 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 Uh, very cool. All right. Well, we are going to get to a lore you should know segment before our interview with Rob. Um, I believe Suspense. this one is about two cults. 
well, not necessarily cults, but two uh, guilds from Ravnica that Mr. Ari Levitch is going to tell us about. Okay. All right. Let's listen to it right now. Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. Uh, my name is Greg Tito, and I am joined by... Oh, I'm Ari Levitch. Hi, Ari. <laughs> I, don't, I thought that I asked that as a question. I know. Some sometimes reason. I switch yeah. it up and say yeah. the name, and sometimes I, I make use of it. Uh, so welcome. Uh, Ari is here to discuss what's uh, going on with some of the guilds you can find in the upcoming product, Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, uh, which will be out on November 9th in game stores, November 20th, everywhere else. And it's a deep dive into what's happening in the world of Ravnica, uh, which Magic players, Magic the Gathering players might know a little bit about. Dungeons and Dragons players uh, you may know less about, but you'll be able to use Dungeons and Dragons in uh, role-playing in this world. And uh, so we wanted to get some lore uh, for you, which is what this Lore You Should Know segment is all about. Mm -hmm. So we've covered a bunch of other uh, of uh, guilds that are out there uh, on previous segments. But today we're going to talk about Rakdos uh, and uh, Gruul. Yeah. Um, so like the other kind of the way we've been breaking this down, um, we've been taking kind of key concepts and looking at how two different guilds uh, represent kind of two sides of a coin. And uh, so what I want to talk about this week um, or th- this segment, one of my favorite, f- favorite elements here is so in our last segment, we talked about the Azorius and the Boros who are all about keeping peace and keeping order and maintaining the vestiges of civilization, keeping those alive rather. And these two guilds kind of want to tear it all down. <laughs> and um, I love these guilds, so I'm excited to talk about them. Um, so the first one we'll talk about is the Cult of Rakdos. Cult of Rakdos. Yes. So who is Rakdos the, and why is there the, a cult around him? One of the official it, guilds is a cult dedicated to a demon. Oh, yeah. well, that can't be very good for Ra- Ravnica. <laughs> it is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the cult of Rakdos is named for uh, Rakdos, yes. uh, who is the demon, the titular demon. Um, and how do, well, just real quick, how do demons and devils and, and that type of thing work in, in Ravnica? Uh, so kind of magic in general, um, uh, angels and demons are kind of manifestations of, of a certain type of mana, which is kind of the power source of magic uh, in, in, the, uh, in the card game. Uh, demons are uh, a manifestation of that. So in, in, in D&D terms, they're, they're, Rakdos as a demon would be a manifestation of uh, evil and chaos and kind of this combination of these two things. And it coalesced in him to create um, kind of an egocentric, hedonistic, kind of cruel demon mm. who just wants to have a good time. Okay. Um, he has lived for millennia and has seen everything, so is easily bored. But if you, could, if you could grab his attention, which is what many people in the guild want to do, then you have done something. And so what that, what that has done over, over the years is that Rakdos has, uh, the, the, when I say Rakdos, the guild, has uh, basically turned into a, um, uh, a theatrical... A, a group of theatrical troops, almost like a kind of, um, uh, I guess a macabre, like Cirque du Soleil type thing, if oh, you can imagine. really? Yeah. yeah. Where did the theatricality come into it from? Uh, it is this idea of kind of wanting to, uh, the guild itself is very much about freedom of expression, wanting to, 
you know, be who you are, living moment to moment. You know, tomorrow is an illusion. Everything is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You have to be you every second of the day. Or you also join the guild because you want to impress this awesome demon. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's one, one or the other. So it has developed into this kind of entertainment-oriented uh, show, but with a kind of a cruel bent to it. Um, they want to poke fun at the, at the world kind of around them. They want to show the world that it is ridiculous. They want to, I mean, even the fact that their shows are well-attended, that the, that the people of Ravnica, they understand that, like, why, why does this cult exist? But people love the shows, even though they, could, they can be violent. Uh, sometimes there is voluntary and involuntary audience participation in this violence. <laughs> uh, but the fact that they're well-attended is proof to the guild itself that what they're doing, I mean, they're just proving their, their whole point, um, that people need this outlet, that, you know, they need to be able to express themselves in this way. Interesting. Um, so if you are uh, a player who wants to, you know, who wants to play a character that kind of wants to, that wants to kind of show, show that, uh, kind of show the absurdity of it all and just kind of have a good time, or you want to play this kind of acrobatic um, theatrical character, and the Rakdos is very much for you. Um, yeah, yeah, they tend to attract uh, lots of humans because humans are kind of the largest uh, kind of race in uh, are on, in Ravnica, and uh, a lot of goblins are attracted to that as well because they have you know the Rakdos performers have no regard for personal safety or for <laughs> the safety of their audience. If they go out literally with a bang. And if they die doing it, but it's a memorable show, they've lived a good life. Like, they've done the thing, especially if Rakdos is in the audience, if the demon Rakdos is in the audience, and you've, you've actually impressed him. Is that a common occurrence for the demon Rakdos? To it be is there? not. So you kind of have to build up a reputation until, you know, he might hear about it and then might attend the show. Does he have a special, like, box, or does he sit Probably, and he's really big, so there's probably, like, this big open <laughs> space for You him. know it when he's there. Right. It's like the Mr. Guffman. He's going to be in the front row. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's the kind of thing. Excuse me. But, uh, yeah, so if you wanted to play d- different kind of uh, options for playing, is if you wanted to be, you know, you could be a fighter uh, and uh, that is more kind of acrobatic uh, kind of focused, or if you wanted to be kind of more of a bruiser but be in this theatrical space, you could do that. Or if you just wanted, like, I just want to play a character that likes to hurt people. Yeah, Yeah, but you could do that here. Uh, There's an outlet for you. Um, But if you wanted to incorporate, uh, you know, kind of like fire into your, you know, they have a lot of fire and kind of lava motifs to them. So if you wanted to play an Eldritch Knight and kind of uh, augment your performance with magic, you could do those types of things. You know, you could be a warlock and, you know, with the Pact of the Fiend, and that fiend is the Demon Lord Rakdos himself this time around. So you could uh, kind of pull that. Yeah, so it's, it could be kind of fun there. Um, you could be a bard with the College of Valor, and you can kind of, uh, you know, you could, you could really double down on being this kind of entertainer. So you don't necessarily have to be kind of cruelty-minded. You could be here because I, I believe that, you know, the, the mores of society are, are too burdensome, and I just got to be me. You right. know, so th- this is also a place to, to be that character. So if uh, you could be heroic in Rakdos, if you believe the Azorius are actually being oppressive with their laws, or if you think that one of the other guilds are getting too much power, where they'll be in a position to start imposing their values on other people, then as a, as a Rakdos performer, you will take it upon yourself 
to kind of cut them down a little bit, to kind of knock down their ego or diminish their ability to do that. That's cool. Yeah. It makes sense. Do they uh, are you, you mentioned how they were like poking fun? Is it is there a lot of satire in their Absolutely. shows? Absolutely, yeah. So satire is a big part of it. They might have effigies of you know political figures, and or they might you know they might at, at its most basic form they might tell kind of you know tell silly silly jokes or whatever or you know satirical jokes. But you know that thing can escalate, and they might be able to foment a riot out of it, and that kind of a thing, which is the way they would also totally love. They would see it wow. as more just performance art or performance rioting, that kind of thing. Performance rioting. Yeah. Is in that- fact, in fact, when we were doing uh, the update to the guild, when we were designing the card set, right. one of the top lines for them was just like keep us all on the same page. Was performance rioters? That's <laughs> that's who these people are. So like a like a Sasha Baron Cohen uh, kind of yep. feel to this as yep. well. Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. I hadn't considered that, but sure, yeah, yeah, that works. Yeah, there's a character idea right there. Yeah, right. Like uh, it's someone who wants to put on a like a like an evil version of the Greatest Showman yep. on Earth. Yep. Not necessarily. Well, are they evil? Would uh, you say so? There are a lot of evil characters. Like, make no mistake, they are the cult of a demon lord. <laughs> so <laughs> so right. there are heroic individuals, but they they will definitely lean on the more evil and more chaotic end of the spectrum. Interesting. All right, yeah. I made a I made a character that was similar to this as like a, a evil bard yep. uh, that uh, fit right into this. So that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. They're a lot of fun, and you can imagine a Rakdos party being a a troop, right? A performance troop that might go around and set up these things. Um, yeah. So I think is, that, is there like a uh, any kind of um, like martial uh, performances? Like, are, is it gladiator or is it more of the acrobatics, like you said? So it. it or does it matter? It would be gladiatorial if there was if there was some kind of uh, take on it like, as for, for entertainment. They wouldn't just have like you know here just have two boxers go or whatever and, yeah. and you know or two people with knives just cut each other up. But there, there is this idea of uh, that they would find beauty in that. Um, so I think I, mean, I think you could probably find it. But has to, what is the racto spin on uh, on that? What is that kind of either satirical or theatrical? version of that interesting even right. if you were to dress up the you know if it was two monsters going at it but they were dressed as you know two different guild masters just to kind of poke fun at it what would that you know what would that look like um is is Rakdos the guild master yes Rakdos is still the guild master and he spends a lot of time asleep uh because he is bored by most things so yeah once again if 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 you either if if he attends your show or makes uh, an entrance um, it is something to behold. I, you, we, when we were talking about Rakdos in the world building phase, we kept talking about what is it like if you, you know, you had like if people talked about the time that Rakdos took the stage and performed. You never forget that. You know, it'd be like you know, you see Keith Richards or whatever perform, and it's like wow, like there, you know, it just oozes charisma. There's a sense of talent, and everybody trying to garner his favor. And you said he was really big though yeah. too. So yes. what, what, what does that mean? How big? Uh, I, I'm trying to remember the size chart now. Uh, ben Petrosaur is going to be angry with me. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, like 20 feet, 30 feet, 10 feet? Yeah, uh, uh, he's probably about 20 feet tall. Wow, yeah, okay. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a big boy. He's bigger than a, than a storm giant, Yeah. right? Uh, yeah, I guess. Well, no, I guess storm giants are like 25, 20, 26 yeah. feet. So. So, but he, he's very big, and he has wings, and he has a giant scythe, and yeah. He's, nope. Just like you think a demon would look like. Yeah. All right, so I th- when you first started talking about it, I thought it was more like a grassed, uh, 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 you know, the demon lord from... from oh, no, 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 he's a, a big, big demon. He actually just looks like a... Uh, yeah. Yep. He's, he's burly. 
Interesting. All in right. In fact, the symbol of Rakdos itself um, mimics his horn horn shapes. So, Got it. Yeah. All right. Well, what's uh, what's the other side of this coin? So the other side of this of this coin, uh, the Gruul clans. The Gruul clans are not satirical. They're not really there to have fun in the way that the Rakdos are. Not that you can't have fun in the guild, but it's a different kind of fun. Um, there's kind of an anger. Uh, there's an angry bent to the Gruul. They are essentially the anarchists of, uh, that live in the ruined and places that have been abandoned. Uh, those places on, uh, in the city belong to the Gruul clans. Um, the Gruul clans are not a monolithic entity. It's, they are the Gruul clans, plural, um, who recognize uh, their guildmaster is a giant cyclops named Borborygamos. Um, Borborygamos. Borborygamos. And he is not the ruler because, it, you know, it just said somewhere that he is the ruler. He's the ruler because he's recognized by all the other clan chiefs as kind of being the toughest. Um, they're very much, they very much believe, like, the world is a harsh place um, and that civilization has made people weak. Mm. And so they, whether because they were slighted by or marginalized by civilization or truly believe that civilization is has made people weak they want to tear down all all i don't know uh all edifices of civilization both physical and institutional they just want to destroy it all Hmm. um their kind of belief system is known as the old ways and this is there's this kind of primal energy that they believe kind of has or had surged through the world before people built this city and they want to kind of unleash that again. They want the, they want na- nature to be in its raw in its most raw form, even though that is brutal. So, like where the Selesnia are a group that you know believe that nature and civilization can be in harmony, the Gruul think that's nonsense. That civilization, just the existence of civilization, is already an affront to nature. Hmm. And so they those that are more spiritual minded will be motivated by that, and other people who are more kind of I guess the opposite of being civic minded, <laughs> they just want to tear it all down and kind of just like dance in the, in the rubble. And so, so their fight club, uh, you know, level of just burning it all down. Yeah. Do they, but they don't even want to start anew. They just kind of want it to go back to a, a that's the thing, a, a pre guild era for rabbit. Not just pre guild, pre city, pre civilization. They like, they want to just do away with all of this. The fact that guilds are a thing is just another layer of just of uh, I don't know of unnatural nonsense. To but them. they still enjoy all the efforts of being a, a member of a guild, though. Yes, I because guess. because officially they they had to you know they had to be official. But if you ask an average you know uh, member of a Gruul clan somewhere, like what do you think about the the guild system? Whether they'll probably be like, I, it's all got to go. You know, mm. they, they're not interested if they're even fully aware of the nuances of all the guild relationships. Because they just all they see is just fire and yeah, it's bring it, bring it's it all nonsense to them. Interesting. Yeah. So you mentioned that there was different clans. Like how how is that organized? Um, so if uh, if I'm a member of a current clan, I may build up enough strength and enough followers in my in my own ability that I may splinter off and form my own clan. Um, some clans may have may actually be bound more by their approach to destroying civilization or surrounding a key person. 
Um, some may be more aggressive in taking the fight to people. Some may be more reclusive and just be like, I just want to live in the rubble belt and you leave me alone. Um, in fact, there's also um, a type of member of the gruel who is not part of any clan that they see even membership in, in a clan is too claustrophobic. Too and so these are known as trogs. And these are kind of just like lone wanderers I in the rubble belt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you, you know, if you happen across them in the rubble belt, then you're dealing with somebody who could hold their own out there. And that's where, like, you know, you have large monsters that can roam. So these are people that can really hold their own. These wilderness kind of survivalists who want nothing to do with civilization at all or even any clan affiliation. They don't want, they don't want anything to do with any of it. What is the rubber belt? The rubble r- rubble belt. belt. The, the rubble belt um, is kind of a take, you know, how in cities you have green belts, which are, you know, parks and things. So the rubble belt are just ruined, like swaths of ruined space, whether they were abandoned because, you know, an is it explosion caused a disaster and everybody had to evacuate and then nature just kind of reclaimed it, or it was something that they carved out themselves by, you know, by attacking and raiding a neighborhood. These are just places that the Azorius or the Boros or any other guild has not been able to kind of bring back into the fold of civilization. Um, and there are so, some areas are... Uh, some some uh, precincts there are larger rubble belts than than others, um, but uh, yeah, they basically this is this is gruel territory. So it's not a literal belt; it's just kind of an area that, right. that right. has fallen into ruin, and that's just where the gruel tend to to congregate. Are there Correct. are they in other areas? Like, are there you, would you even though they might detest being around so much civilization, do they infiltrate infiltrate into those areas? Um, I don't know if infiltration is their, really their thing, but um, they will – I mean there are gruel members that might go and they might go sit and enjoy a Racto show or they might go um, to a marketplace um, and sell pelts or whatever or trade pelts for something. Um, it depends on you know, personally where a member of the gruel stands in their relationship to civilization. Um, but I think by and large, um, most people would be uncomfortable – by, by members of the gruel showing up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. What, what, and what type of uh, uh, characters kind of gravitate towards, towards the gruel? Uh, in terms of races, uh, humans, um, centaurs are, are ones that we saw in Selesnia, but some of the more kind of um, uh, so the believe that civilization is too stifling, they might go to the, uh, go to the gruel. Uh, a lot of goblins show up in the gruel and some minotaurs as well. Um, and uh, yeah, and then it's also made up of a, bunch, of a bunch of different monstrous races as well. So you might have like the guildmaster itself is a cyclops, or there are ogres or giants and things like that. So it's a pretty eclectic group um, because a lot of these are are the individuals or groups that have been kind of marginalized by by society in some way. Got it. And uh, what's the? I mean, you mentioned the the cyclops. So what's what's the temperament of him? Like what what what's uh, he is the grueliest gruel. Whoever grueled. Yeah, uh, he is, he is uh, short-tempered. Um, he is always ready to protect his status. And what I mean by that is that uh, the way you would, you would defeat him and take on this role of guildmaster is by, by defeating him in combat. Uh, trial by combat is, is the, way kind of you, the way you settle scores in the gruel. And uh, so right now he, is, he has not been beaten. Um, there have been a few people that have fought him. Rarely do they survive. Uh, so yeah, he is, he is, uh, he's kind of a force of nature in that way of just this, you know, this 
just raw physical energy of just being able to knock down buildings and just, yeah, just basically be a wrecking ball himself. How long has he uh, been Guildmaster? Uh, I actually don't remember how long he has been a guild guildmaster but it has it has been he wasn't the he was not the the parent so he was not the founder but i don't recall how many how many decades he it's been decades but i don't remember the exact number of, okay yeah but not centuries not right. millennia like you've said about a lot of the other right. ones right like he's he's relatively recent i say right until somebody corrects me okay so. <laughs> well we'll we'll see if that happens in uh, <laughs> I'm show. cool. So who cares about these numbers it and dates anyway? So. I've only been alive for you know forever, right? Uh, um, so what kind of uh, you know kind of characters would you see uh, you know to, as a as a party in in playing it? So so one of the fun things if you're going to build a party, uh, you can imagine that you're all you might if you're doing an all gruel party, it might be you're all part of a, a new clan or you're the remnants of a clan you know that has been destroyed. Or you're just you're all new members of, of a clan. Is clan based uh, similar to the guild, and that you can choose to be in a clan, or is it more familial? Um, you you probably well, it's interesting because it could be familial. Um, it could be that you you choose, or uh, yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of it is this notion of you follow who you think is strongest. So, um, but if I'm born into a clan, let's say one of my parents is the chief, I may, you know, this is this is my clan. Uh, so you might have that kind of pride, or you may go off and do your own thing. Got it. Okay. Uh, or you may just go off and be a trog and say, you know, forget all of you. So, so, but so a lot of gruel could be antagonists in your in your D and D. Absolutely, game. they're an easy antagonist. You can imagine, like, if if you're playing and you're, you know, your whole deal is you know that there's going to be a gruel incursion into this neighborhood, and let's say you're a member of the Boros, and you have to hold this fort against mm. a gruel assault. Uh, so they're really easy. Or you have to venture into the rubble belt because you have to, let's say they captured somebody or they stole an artifact of some some kind or they're about to destroy something important that they found out in the rubble belt and you have to venture out there. Uh, so you have to deal with the gruel and you have to deal with the monsters that are out there and there's this kind of wilderness kind of campaign uh, vibe that, that that plays out that way. That could happen in a part of a ruined city. Like yeah, that's, and, that's and that's what's cool. so fun is that you can... Uh, Ravnicus is diverse in that there are you could have a, wild, a, a whole swath of wilderness in the you know in the middle of of, of a city. Yeah. Um, uh, some things about the, about the gruel, like most members of the gruel are are called anarchs. They're known as anarchs because you know uh, they they just want to tear it all down. Yeah. Um, so you might in that case you might be uh, you might be a fighter. Uh, you might be a barbarian um, with the path of the berserker. Uh, but if you are more spiritual minded and, and you want to be a barbarian, you might take the path of the totem warrior because you are you believe in the old ways, and so you're kind of channeling that. Um, is is that really the old ways? Is that way the way where Ravnica came from? Was it used to have this kind of guild like uh, I'm sorry, your clan like structure? Uh, perhaps uh, the Gruul aren't known for keeping records. <laughs> so, um, they're not they're not known for their books, but they're. There's the sense of truth to, because I mean it's evidence in the power that they can they could tap into. Um, what exactly that is, or what the old ways were for reals, we don't we don't really know. Um, but uh, but their their spellcasters can draw energy from from a source that they have identified as the old ways, or that they've labeled the old ways. Oh, okay. So they actually there are, you know, uh, uh, are they more like sh- shamanistic? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you could imagine, you know, if you are if you are a um, Let's see. If you are a druid, 
Uh, you could be, you know, a circle of the moon. Or if you're even even a cleric, you could be the, uh, t- the, uh, uh, the tempest domain, you know, drawing on these storms and drawing on the power of just nature itself, right. which is exactly what the gruel are, are all about. Um, and one of the things you could kind of note about, about the gruel um, visually is that they have these kind of uh, angular tattoos all oh. over their bodies. And what that basically means is you have to earn your tattoos. And there's kind of a topographical map kind of texture to them. And there's this kind of tradition that they have that whenever you, whenever you commit an act of, uh, that will kind of help tear down civilization or whatever, you, you tattoo where that happened. There's a sense of place on their body that I, you know, I'm the one who destroyed you know, this statue or I broke down this building or whatever. Yeah. But you have to earn your tattoos. Um, and to join, to join uh, the gruel, regardless of clan, you have to go through an initiation rite. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's basically you have to – they bury you alive. Oh. And so that your old person dies. And then when, you, when they dig you out, you are now a member of the gruel. You are born again. And rather than, having, rather than resting on your laurels of like, well, I was once you know, a fighter in the Boros who wanted to turn away from civilization or whatever – like, it doesn't matter what you did before. You now have to prove yourself all over again as a member of the gruel. So there is this sense that uh, you are um, – uh, you have to shed all, all traces of civilization when you, when you join the gruel. Wow. Yeah. Have, you, have you earned your tattoo? Uh, I have not. Not that tattoo. A <laughs> uh, different one. But I've, I have not destroyed any buildings or toppled any statues. But uh, – there's, there's wind, though. There's <laughs> it but, might have happened. Yeah, I, I just got to say, I love playing gruel characters um, just because, you know, if you ever have a you have a tough day at work and you ever feel like throwing your computer through a window or something or you just want to wreck something, it's like the gruel allow you to do that. Uh, it's just it's a lot of fun to just feel like Hulk smash. Yeah, Hulk smash. Right. Um, there's something just kind of liberating about being that character. And I tend to play characters where I just kind of want to I want to see things kind of happen. I want to kick down doors uh, or yeah, you knock them Kick off down hinges. The, the society yeah, down, yeah. right? Yeah, there's something just fun about kind of just being that uh, that character that kind of just get things moving, right? Um, so there's kind of that kind of fantasy fulfillment about you know both the Rakdos and the Gruel about just you're doing things that you don't get to do, you know. In like I could go stand in line at the DMV and feel <laughs> like it's a glorious experience, but you know I can't go. Smash I can't go summon up. you know a giant you know a giant monster as my buddy and then go wreck some buildings. But there is also, um, you know, I, I could see a scenario in which a gruel member does not want to work with uh, other guild members, but is forced to for whatever reason. Yeah, and, and, and it could be all sorts of things. Imagine if you are if you're a gruel, and part of the beauty of of playing on Ravnica, by the way, is that you don't have to create parties that are just of one guild. guild. Yeah. Right. Most of the time, you're going to be playing with members of different guilds, and so what's awesome about it is that there are contacts that you create throughout the city. You know, you're not living in isolation uh, in your guild. You live in a city. So if, I'm, if you're a member of the Gruul, and you, know, you may have a sibling. I may be your brother from the Orzhov or from the Simic. Yeah. Or, and the reason we're adventuring together is something happened to our other sibling. Something happened to a parent. And I got to come back to you, and you're like, I thought you were going to go to law school like me. And now you have your tattoos and your mohawk. And I heard you, you know, you... You know, you destroyed a government building or whatever. <laughs> you wrote an anarchic uh, yeah, symbol. So like, yeah, so there's something about that that's really 
just fun for intra-guild, not just conflict, because, you know, I don't want to create this notion that everything is dysfunctional, because there are also bonds there, right? If we are siblings, or if we grew up together, we just went different ways, you get to play with what that kind of that backstory stuff was. Why are you friends? If if that premise of the game is you've agreed to all sit down at this table and play characters that are going to adventure together, you get to fill in those those gaps. And by by being from the same place, by being from this tenth district on Ravnica, mm-hmm. like something you just you kind of have you're forced to come up with connections. And I think that's the beauty. That's the most fun I've had playing so far. Has been like what. Why are we all together? Like, why I, I I'm playing an Izzet character right now, and you know I'm palling around with Selesnya and Orzhov, and it's just and Golgari, and it's just it's so fun to see like oh we all grew up in the same neighborhood we were all just you know childhood friends you're just buddies yeah we we're just buddies and we all went our separate ways and now we've had to come back because something from our past has has reemerged yeah so. and I think a lot of you know humans from this world have a very similar story yeah. Uh, yeah. like that that is binding uh, groups together. Yeah, so I think I think that's kind of where you really start to see this book as as just kind of a D and D experience. It really starts to sing when you start to embrace this notion of each member of your party is part of the city as well. You have neighbors, you have friends, you've had teachers, you have rivalries, and all of these things. You're a part of this. Um, you know, so often D and D is this notion of you are exploring a new place and that you are the outsider finding the new thing mm. and being introduced to that new thing. And in Ravnica. You are kind of you're 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 adventuring in a place that you kind of know to a degree. You know what your favorite pub is. You know you have your coffee shop that you go to, or you know where you buy you know buy your bread at the market or whatever. These are things that you are familiar with. Yeah. And so if you kind of embrace that as you're telling your own story, you, I think you'll get the most out of a Ravnica experience. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks for uh, uh, talking to us about yeah, my both pleasure. Rakdos and. Uh, Gruel. Yeah, I was gonna say. And we have two more guilds, so at some point we'll have to rally up and. We definitely will. Yeah, Yeah, because there's. I want to get the full gamut, and then I'm sure there's other topics that we could cover uh, uh, that uh, people don't know. For sure. So, um, great. Uh, Thank you. And if people want to get in touch with uh, you and ask you more questions about all these topics, how can they do so? So I'm still at Winnemall on Twitter. uh, W i n n e m a l l. Um, And I I guess I intend to remain so. Sweet. Yeah. All right. We will. You won't be gruel and tear it all down. Not yet. We'll see. Excellent. All right. All right. Thanks a lot, Ari. Thank you. All right. We'll be back with more Lawyer Should Know at a later time. Oh, man. Wasn't that a great lore you should know? Yes. I feel like I know everything. Ari really brought it. He brought the lore. Totes. Um Speaking of bringing it, Rob Davio. Always bringing it. Was bringing it yeah. uh, for this board game that I can't wait for everyone to start playing, to write about, to talk about. Uh, there's a lot of, it's like a storytelling engine in a box. Yes. I it's just made that up. getting amazing reviews. You can use that okay. if you want. Put it on the back of the just box. Just put it on the back of the box. All right. It's a storytelling. Greg Tito said. It's a storytelling engine in a box. And then poop after that. That's my quote. Poop. Use it or lose it. Got it. Uh, let's get Mr. Let's Rod it. Davio on the phone. Uh, we are uh, joined by an amazing game designer uh, who I have said many times, I believe, on this podcast, you are one of the few people that I've actually uh, inhaled a gasp of breath upon meeting. What? I, re- I remember. It was at PAX East. That's right. Oh, really? Yeah. I, yeah. We were at a, uh, like, in a hotel suite, like, some after-hours gaming, 
it was just my wife and me and and you and you're like, oh, what do you do? What do you do? And I'm like, I design games. And you had a little bit of a cool attitude. You're like, any I've heard of? Uh, <laughs> uh, games. Okay. And I said, uh, it was at the time, I said, Risk Legacy. And you went, wait, what? And then, <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's true. I was, I was enamored with that game. I still am. It's just amazing. And uh, here you are, Rob Davio. Ow. Rob Davio. Ow. Oh. Uh, Rob Davio, uh, uh, lead designer for Betrayal Legacy, which I'm touching Wee! with my hands right here uh, in front of us. This is the very copy that I think we're going to play tomorrow. We're cracking it open officially tomorrow. That's nice. right. Uh, nice. I'll spoil the whole thing for kay. you right now. No! I've kept, uh, I've kept in the dark for so many months so that I wouldn't be you, spoiled. You really know nothing? I mean, I know, I know very little. Do you know, I know that it's about a house? Wait, what? Oops, spoiler! House? Dang it. Yeah. Uh, no, I know very little. Uh, just real surface uh, uh, kind of stuff. None of the, the tricks and the trades. Uh, so... What would you, for, for folks who are listening who, who, who perhaps aren't as in the know, uh, mm-hmm. how would you describe it? How would you describe Betrayal Legacy to someone? Or maybe uh, even start with describing a legacy game because you made that up. That's true. I made that up. Uh, should I describe Betrayal at House on the Hill or does everyone know that likely? No, I should probably do that too just for fun. Right. So Betrayal at House on the Hill <laughs> is, a, is a game that you make. Uh, that it. I um, had a hand in sort of developing and doing some light design work back uh, 18 years ago when I was at Hasbro what? out here in Massachusetts. Yeah, it was 2000. Um, it landed on my desk and I spent about a year and a half working on it. And it's a horror game. It's a haunted a haunted mansion, haunted house in a box game. It lets you sort of play a board game, but it does some things that are pretty different. Uh, you don't know when you start playing the game what the goal of the game is and then some point during the game uh, the haunt starts which is someone usually snaps and then you get this game where usually one person's a traitor and everyone else is like oh no they're gonna kill us and it's there's 50 different ways that that could happen so the person might be a vampire lord or aliens might be coming or they might be a mad scientist who shrunk you down and then you learn how to win and there's two different sides and you uh, you play and there's a lot of uh, silly death um you know, not not serious death. And you, at the end, you have a little bit of a horror short story that you ended up sort of acting out together through playing. It's a real hybrid between a board game and a role-playing game. And that came out in 2004, I think. Shelly, you've got to back me up on this. True. And, Confirmed. Uh, Confirmed. And it's been doing uh, it's been doing pretty well in the line. I think it came out, went away, and then came back, and it's been a pretty steady game. So about... Three, four years ago, Shelly, at PAX East again. I should just hang out there more. Right? <laughs> you get so much work from PAX East. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Shelly and I started talking, and later that summer, it was tw- summer of 2016, said, do you want to make a Betrayal Legacy? Of, to which I said, yes, immediately. And then we had to like deal with contracts and things like that. Um, which is going to be but, what we're going to be talking about for the next hour. Right. Yeah, How do those contracts, contracts so get nailed down? The contract contracts contracts between, between Hasbro and an independent contractor. We're going to do a deep dive yeah. <laughs> and residuals and advances. The souls uh, that were exchanged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This is my TED talk. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, a legacy game is uh, something that, that w- was br- mind-blowing when I first encountered it, when I p- uh, picked up. I didn't really know what Risk Legacy was. Uh, and it had this amazing uh, sticker on the box. Before you even opened it, Which, you knew it was th- different. There's a reason for that. You told me, Rob, that there was a reason you guys put that very well, sticky sticker so on piece, the box. The pieces didn't fall out, really, well, is what it was. But then there's we realized a practical we could, reason. 
Yeah, well, then we realized we could print on it. And, and what it says is what's done can never be undone. Um, what, what makes a legacy game a legacy game, and I've worked on five or six of them now over the past eight years, is some of the actions you take that take place that you do in one game change the game. So when you start the next game, there's some permanent changes to it. And you will play your same board game you know, 10, 14, 20 times, however long the campaign is in a legacy game. And your experience will be different than anyone else's experience because of what you did and what changes you made. And at the end, the campaign is done. And in most, but not all of the games, you then have a, a normal board game, which you can play again and again and again. Uh, in some cases, though, the game's sort of done. Like, you know, you play it 18 times and then it's finished. And what it really does, if you play D&D, it's a role-playing campaign in a box. If you think about if you buy a role-playing campaign and someone's DMing it, uh, the characters are going to do crazy different things. Each person, each group's going to be slightly different. And when you start the next session, you'll pick up where you left off and your actions play forward. I was a huge D&D guy growing up and ended up in board games instead of role-playing games. And so I just took what I loved and what I knew and tried to kind of put it in a board game box. But it's different because people are used to writing on a character sheet but not writing on a card. And they're not used to putting stickers on things. And then in some cases, the big horror is ripping up mm -hmm. materials that you don't need. Like, you don't need this card anymore. Just rip it up, throw it away, destroy it, burn it. Uh, people still get mad at me about that. I, it was, uh, it was, and I, I don't use the term lightly, mind-blowing. That yeah. there was four people, you know, very uh, people who had played board games for their entire lives as well as, as even, you know, role-playing games, as you said. And the act of physically ripping something up is so freeing but also so scary yeah. at the same time board gamers are the types of people who will sometimes spend hundreds of dollars on box inserts to organize their components right so the idea of, of, of destroying your components up. yes is abhorrent throwing them away or stickering or writing on them with permanent marker yeah but you yeah i i, I totally get it i mean i don't sleeve things myself but I, it's not like I just rip stuff apart and throw it away, but as a designer, I'm regularly making a prototype, playing it once, throwing it all in the recycling and bin. And you make good print, prototypes, too. Thank you. Or Lindsay makes Printing, good yeah, prototypes. My, my wife and I work together. She's a production artist, so my prototypes are... They're really good. Sweet. Very good. Yeah. Um, but I remember when I first started at Hasbro, I wanted to make a clue card game. And so I got... I needed three sets of clue cards, and so I got three games from the company store open them up, took the cards out. And I said to someone else in my office, I'm like, what do I do with the board? And they're like, throw it away. I'm like, you can't throw it away. It's a game. So I kept these game boxes without cards, completely unplayable in my office because it had the pieces and the clue pad and the game board and the die for like two years. And then I was moving offices and I'd worked there long. And I'm like, why am I keeping these? Right, because they're just cardboard. So it took me a while to get used to the idea that they're just cardboard and cards. And Sometimes the act of creation comes from just destroying things that you don't need. It's like editing. Mm. Mm -hmm. So yeah. took that sort of crazy idea and the idea of betrayal and put them together to try to make a haunted house book. If the regular game tells you a short story, what this one does is each game you play is a chapter in a book. Mm. I like that. And hopefully it all adds up into your own little novel of the history of your own house. You're like co-writing a ghost story as you play. And I'm DMing from a distance. And it does feel very role player e, which I've noticed from watching people playing it. They immediately get into their character. Yeah. They just do. They start, they just, like, the very first time we, when we were in Salem, 
Rob and I went on our world tour. That <laughs> to Salem, Massachusetts. To Salem, Massachusetts. Salem, Massachusetts. <laughs> All the way to Chicago and then San Francisco. That's like, a that's a U.S. tour. That's not a world tour. Worldly. Uh, you know what? I made platinum status, so I'm very happy with this story. That's go. high fives all around. And I was upgraded yeah. to first class on my one hour and 20 minute flight to San Francisco. So world class tour. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah totally. World yeah. class tour. Yeah. But it was funny. Like those, that group, they had only two of them knew each other and the rest of them were strangers. And they were just totally bonded after playing this the game together. Like mm-hmm. They were exchanging phone numbers. And, oh, no way. Really? Yeah, it was really cute. Were they going to continue? I don't. I don't think they were because they they lived too far apart. Uh, but we actually did see that happen yeah. at GameHole Con. There was one of the, uh, the group that demoed. They were strangers, and they committed to finishing that game. Oh no way! At GameHole Con, nice. I, I I think last we checked, they were maybe on chapter eight or something. They were on chapter seven or eight, but they had a whole weekend left to go. Yeah, what yeah. happens because it's a legacy game is you open up and you're going to rip some cards and write on things and put stickers. So we can't just reset the game for the next group that comes in. So what we did is we played the, the prologue and then chapter one and whoever won chapter one, we just said, here, you, you have first right of refusal. You can take it and continue your story. Yeah. And one person, a few groups would be like, oh, no, I'm going to start with my own group. And then, you know, someone always wanted it, so they just got a free game that they had started. And in this case, it was three people that I think two of them knew each other and the third one didn't. And they just said, oh, we're in this together. And they, like, <laughs> went to play 14 games in a weekend. I wonder how that ended. I know. Probably I wonder if they're still friends. each other <laughs> in the game. They're still lot, playing right now. They're, they're still <laughs> playing. They're they never, they quit their jobs. Dimension. Yeah. <laughs> They're still it's stuck a very in the game hole. Sheraton, in Madison, <laughs> yep. Wisconsin. That's awesome. So, so you had I've uh, mentioned you played D anD D for a long time. When when was your your first experience playing Dungeons and Dragons? It was um, July of nineteen eighty one. I like that you remember the month too. Uh, I was at summer camp. I was I just finished fifth grade. None of my friends were around. I guess I was moping and just sort of a miserable preteen. And I remember my parents came then. One night they just sat me down and said, yeah, well, we made plans. You're going to summer, you know, two weeks of overnight summer camp and didn't give me a choice. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I should have said, thank you. Like it was like that, that long for between the outrage of having someone plan my life to, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. <laughs> and I went to two weeks of camp and there were some people playing D&D, except none of them had their books or dice. So they were basically just doing interactive storytelling and calling oh. it D&D. And I walked up and they would just be walking around having these conversations. What are you doing? And they're like, oh, do you want to be part of this? And like, name a character. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) And it blew my mind. I went there and also I was allowed to bring five comic books. And that's when I also fell in love with comic books. So those two weeks pretty much set my career. Nice. That's crazy. It's kind of like, uh, what is it, One Crazy Summer or no, uh, One Hot American Summer? Wet Hot American Summer. There's a subplot where... They're playing Dungeons and Dragons ish. Yeah. So the interesting about What Hot American Summer is it takes place in Waterville, Maine, which is the town I grew up in. No way, really? Um, yeah. So there's no actual camps in Waterville, but it's the biggest town. It's like 18,000 people. All the camps are around it on lakes. And I guess one of the writers went to camp outside and going into Waterville was a big deal because you could play miniature golf and get an ice cream sundae or whatever they would do That's as counselors. Exactly what I picture Maine. <laughs> Isn't anyway, that, yes. Yeah. Is the, it's ice what happens so, when you go into town. Cream. Soft serve ice cream, and there was a batting cage, and and a bunch of stuff. I mean, they were counselors, so they were doing other things. But that's as the campers, that's what you would do to go in, right? So yeah, there's that scene where they go into Waterville in the yeah. movie, and then they just it just surreal turns into 
just like a heroin bender or something. Yeah, right, and they all get back. And like, yeah, that's what I'm imagining when you say, oh, we're going to town. Like, oh, that's what happened every single yeah, time. Yeah, it was, it was pretty much like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was 1981, and I, I came back, and I'm like, I got to buy this, and I got it. And I realized there's all these rules and dice, and I got the basic set. And then I remember the first module I bought was A2. If Perkins was here, he'd be able to say, like, oh, it was so-and-so. Oh, it's the Slave Lord series, and I'm, oh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank now as to st- uh, Stockade of the Slave Lords, I think. Right. Um, and I got really confused. I opened it up, and there it had tournament play rules and non-tournament play rules, and it was advanced Dungeons & Dragons, so Elf wasn't a, a class, but it was a race, and you could be like it. And it was very confusing to 11-year-old me, but I figured it all out. So were you the Dungeon Master or the player? Most of the time I was a dungeon master and I pretty much give, that's what started me being a game designer because um, God bless first edition. I love it to death, but it makes no sense. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, people were inventing a genre. And so, you know, everything was just designed by edition, like add a new system on. I want to be able to grapple and pummel and overbear and they all work differently. Yeah. And so there were, you know, we were like 12 years old, 13. I was playing with my brothers and his friends and my friends and they were younger and I was constantly having to adjudicate and come up with rules and, oh, okay, here's how it works. So like you roll this and after you get three 14s or higher, then you escape from the trap and you get a bonus for your dexterity. And I was basically improv game designing on the fly. I was like freeform jazz game design. <laughs> um, and again, I just basically made me, I realized like, oh, it encouraged me to make up game systems. And that's what got me kind of started at some level. I've heard that a lot when people say uh they played D when they were a kid and, and and a lot of it has to do with that that word and as a game designer maybe you can talk about it a little bit more it's like what 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 is your definition for what a game system is and and how it works because that's something like I, I it comes up a lot and i kind of know what it is from being around it and being around game designers and talking about it but you might oh, be i've the never per- tr- tried to define it i think the way i use it as a game system is is a uh, it's not just one game, right? Like if you have Access and Allies, that's a game, but the Access and Allies game system spans four or five different products. Mm. So for me as a system is a set of rules like an Access and Allies or Risk or whatever that can be used in various sub-products. And they may not be identical, but they're, they're close enough that if you played one, you can pick up the other pretty quickly. Um, you know, there's like Richard Borg has a bunch of miniatures games under the command and color system. And each one is different. They take place in different, you know, like genres and some are complicated, some are simple, but playing one leads to another. So Dungeons and Dragons is a game system, but you can play low level or high level, or you can make it side, like the D20 is a system Mm. engine. Right. But then there's also the subset of like a system within a game, like, uh, like the experience points, for example, is like a, sure. a is closed it, is system within a game. Is it clo- yeah. I mean, I don't know if anyone has codified all this into some sort of universal language. Um, but yeah, there is a system within a game. Oh, here's the combat system. Yeah. But if I use the word game system, I'm referring to this very broad thing. But if I say, well, here's the combat system and the experience and the, like, the, the treasure system, they're all sort of little subroutines. Yeah, which uh, interact together, and that's kind of – I think that's why D&D is so enduringly popular is because there's all these different systems that right. that some players latch on to some. Like, you know, I mean, Shelly, you've said that you really love magic. You love being a magic user. Uh, you don't necessarily love the combat system as much because, you know, I don't know, reasons, but you love the magic system. I do like to blow things up. You like to blow things up. 
right? I do. So it, like yeah. it, the, the, a game like uh, uh, Betrayal Legacy might have different systems that interact like that. Is that right? Yeah, there's um, there's two big things in this game: moving around. Well, there's moving, fighting. Fighting is part of the action system, but it's a very specific part of the action system. So it has more rules and more like subroutines that go on there. Um, when you move, you end up like with rules for discovery. It's almost like when you think of a rule book, when you get to the subheader, mm. like on your turn, you can do this and this. Okay, those are systems. And it's like discovering a new room. Well, that's a little subroutine drawing cards. That's a, that's a system that's in there. Um, and it's weird when I'm designing games, I also, I often leave some of them just placeholder or blank, which I think freaks people out. <laughs> like, oh, and then there'll be combat. I haven't figured it out. So just roll a six-sider and high roll win. So like, is that it? I'm like, no, that's it for now because I'm testing moving and I know there'll be combat, but I don't really care yet other than there'll be combat and that's not today's concern. And then I get moving kind of working and then I test combat and then I realize moving doesn't work. And I, they sort of all, I sort of design things somewhat integrated, but if you try to make everything work perfectly at the beginning, none of it's going to work and then mm. you can't figure out what's working and what's not. So I do these little isolation tests on different parts of it. Right. Almost like a scientific method experiment, right? Of like, yeah, like I, I have a control group. Right. Yeah. It's never that specific <laughs> or good. I am a board game designer. It's a lot of, Oh, this will work. Try this. Right. It's, but at some level there's a, there's a system under there. I think that's what science is like too. I'm not I don't good know. at this. Yeah. I don't know. Put, put those two things together. It's maybe yeah. a placebo. Maybe it's maybe not. <laughs> maybe that's a is it league thing. Uh, that uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, so um, you played D and D when you were you know back in the day in the eighties. Have you did you can, did you go and uh, uh, interact with it in third edition, fourth edition? Like, did you get all the systems there? Uh, I uh, I played a lot of first edition. And then I went in the late 80s into the early 90s. I got into high school and into college, and I became too cool to role play. From Mostly. The, we I can tell from the do, scarf. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I did some pickup games here and there, and I always liked it, but it was a little bit of like, you know, the like revenge of the nerds culture. Like nerd culture wasn't a thing yet. So I'm like, is it okay to still like this? <laughs> you know, I could, and, um, but I always had a soft spot for it. And then one of my best friends and I came up with a fair, like a, very complex, no, not complex, very rich uh, adventure that we said, well, we'll make up something and play it over Christmas break. And it ended up being something that takes 40 sessions to play and you start at third level and you end up at 12th level. It was like a full campaign that we designed. And I spent about two years, like summers off and on. I have a lot of fond memories of he and I would were waiters in Harvard Square. We'd ride our bikes home and then we'd stay up till dawn, like working on D- this giant D&D project which i still like it's in written in first edition so i would say it's like this it's like written in latin basically <laughs> um, sanskrit yeah and uh you know we always sort of i then in the mid 90s i played that i actually dm that whole thing it took 40 sessions and then played other campaigns and various things and i was in advertising and i um i submitted a bunch of article ideas to dragon magazine it was like it was still a print magazine, but there was online stuff, so you could pitch a bunch of things. And the editor in chief was like, "Hey, uh, this one sounds pretty good. Why don't you write it up?" I'm like, "What?" <laughs> and so, and so I wrote up a, uh, I wrote up the article and I sent it in, and they're like, "Yeah, we're putting it in the magazine. It's great." And it gave me more joy than anything I had done in five years of advertising. Wow. 
And I still have a color copy of the check. You can't see it. It's right up there on the wall. Aww. My first professional game. It was like $86 or something like that. Nice. And um, I was like, I'm in the wrong profession. And what my plan was, was that I was going to freelance advertise, right, Monday through Thursday. And then Friday was role-playing day because I thought I can't make a living at this necessarily, but I can, I can do it for fun. And so I did the part where I quit my job and I did the part where I cleared my Fridays. And then I answered an ad in the newspaper to go work for Parker Brothers and got a job as a full-time board game designer at Hasbro with like benefits and full-time. So I was like, well, forget this role-playing stuff. I'll be doing Monopoly and Trivial Pursuit and just took a side path in 1998, 20 years ago. Wow. Ended up a board game designer. Well, how do you get to be a board game designer if, without, like, how do you convince them? Like, you know what I'm oh, going to do one day? Is- I'm going to invent the coolest concept ever uh, well, this is a, several a game long, of the years. A long, uh, a long story that we probably don't have time for here, even with an hour, but um, <laughs> that long. Oh gosh. Well, you have to remember it was before board game geek, a settlers of Catan had come out, but it hadn't really broken big here. Magic was the thing. Uh, it's still a thing, but it was the thing back then. It was about four years old and people could see that it had some, some legs. Yeah. Um, and, I applied actually to be a copywriter for Parker Brothers, doing box bottom copy and sell sheets and things like that and rules editing. And I really didn't want to do that, but I thought, oh, well, I'm freelancing. I'll go in and maybe I can get it as a part time gig if it doesn't sound fun. And somewhere along the line, my resume went to the game design department where they're looking for someone who liked game design but had a writing background to do Trivial Pursuit and taboo anything that had what we called cardware those boxes of cards with all the stuff that was in there yeah so bridging between writing but thinking of writing for like game content you know is this too hard a question is this too easy what's the terminology and hasbro had gone through one of its many moves at the time so they're looking to fill like 40 or 50 people so no one bothered they called to say i had an interview but no one bothered to say for a different position than you applied for oh So I show up at the interview and I'm being interviewed with people and I'm literally thinking, wait, this is for a game design job. This is not for the writing job. I've done improv acting. (laughs) I I just yes and my way right into a full time position. Now, in retrospect, I had done everything in my life to get ready for that interview. Mm. Like I I was running tables at D&D tables at conventions at 12 like local conventions. And I had written this whole big thing and I played a lot of board games and I had this background and I had done writing and I knew Trivial Pursuit and Star Wars uh, episode one was about to come out. And I was a big Star Wars fan. So I was exactly everything that they needed, but I just used the ability to not panic to convince them of that. And then I just had this accidental Hail Mary pass. I was talking to this guy, Mike Gray, since retired wonderful guy and he said oh what are some games you played as a kid i said i played clue i play monopoly i know all the stuff you make but some games i played as a kid played a a trick-taking game called dragon master uh, which really showed me what trick-taking games could be i played a maze building game called pathfinder which was sort of abstract and i and i played a lot of dungeons and dragons and mike's next words were i worked on all those games when you can you start oh (laughs) <laughs> and the other person in was like, no, Mike, Mike, that's not how it happens. I said, I work for myself. I can start tomorrow whenever you want to do it. He's like, great. And like that was it. Like I basically managed to guess three games that he had worked on. Nice. And just pulled them, pulled them out. I think I likely would have gotten it without that, but that certainly sealed the deal. And then I started working. My first project was uh, Monopoly Looney Tunes. So 
this was back when Hasbro just figured out that they could make Monopoly whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. There were there had been a Monopoly Star Wars the year before for the like twentieth anniversary where they re released all the films and that had gone really well and they're like, hey, we should do one of these a year. Why not? One more. When was this? When did you start at Hasbro? Ninety eight. November okay. of ninety eight. Yeah, I think I have that Monopoly Star Wars still. I think I've moved with it my entire I, life. I, I have it somewhere. I had gotten it the year before, and I was like, oh, I forgot how much I like board games, too. Like, maybe there's, you know, I started playing some more board games in addition to the role-playing, but I just had the ratio reversed of how I was uh, going to make a living. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, basically, your experience being at a Dungeon Master and, and uh, making up rules on the fly allowed yeah. you to go into an interview and be like, oh, the rules have changed. I'm just going to run it. it. That's a sign of a good everyone involved. Keep everyone involved. Okay, what do you? Okay, we haven't gone back to you for a while. Okay, so you know, and just just keep everyone everyone excited. Yeah, no, I mean that that DMing served me very well for my 14 years at Hasbro. Whenever I had to present in front of management, I don't know if you two ever do that directly at these line reviews or other people do it, but it was it was DMing, (laughs) right? It's basically the equivalent of you walk up to the front and you're like an old man comes up to you in the tavern and someone goes, I kill him. And you're like, what? Like, like that's it's like, <laughs> that. Like yep. it's the meeting equivalent of that. Like, no, you're supposed to talk to him. He was going to give you the quest. Like you would walk in and have a game. So I'm like, why is it green? <laughs> uh, and you just have to. They went to the right. The they were get supposed the to go back. left. <laughs> it's like get you're touching that. Get the party back on track. I <laughs> helped me so much. That's awesome. In, in terms of managing managing chaos and trying to get everyone back, you know, both getting them back to where I thought they would be, but also bending, you know, what I, where I thought they should be to where they want to go and like finding that middle ground. Why was it green though? That's what I want to know. Yeah, why? Really? I don't know why. It, it was just, a, you know, that was. <laughs> I don't want to get in and start. You know, you work for Hasbro, so I'm not going to get in and start <laughs> taking my alma mater and telling these sort of war stories from presenting things. But yeah. Uh, that's that's probably a smart career move for all of us. Really. So you yeah. were you were at Hasbro when Hasbro bought Wizards and yeah. with that D and D. I approved it. You're you welcome. approved that deal. Yeah. You were probably approval. the one that was like, you should buy Wizards. So where was where was Mike Grace? Who was like, hey, I, I worked on that game. Yeah, I was uh, I was walking out of Gen Con with Mike Gray uh, and said, this is when Wizards was at Gen Con. And you had a big castle. The castle. I'm gonna say those were the castles. And he said, you see that castle? And I go, yeah. He goes, next year it'll be Hasbro. So I'm like, <gasps> what? He goes, that, he goes, that's just my hunch. He didn't know. No he just, way. Yeah, he was like, yeah, Pokemon's taking off and all these things and magic. And he's like, I wouldn't be surprised. Mm. He was so prophetic. He it. Yeah, he was prophetic. He knew. That's yeah, crazy. I was there when uh, when Hasbro bought Wizards, and the rest is a lot, a lot of things happened there. Yeah, yeah. So when did you uh, work on Betrayal at House on the Hill? That was soon after that, right? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, about two early two thousand to fall of two thousand one, and then Hasbro had bought Wizards of the Coast, and they did a little. We had the Avalon Hill brand. In my office, I got to Hasbro in 98, right when Avalon Hill as an external company had left and Hasbro had it as an internal brand. So I was part of the original three, first three years of design on that. And then it went over to Wizards of the Coast and I, we held on to Betrayal at House on the Hill because I wanted to <laughs> and it wasn't done. And they said, we'll make it a Parker Brothers game. And I did all this effort to try to make it like a beginner version, an advanced version. And it was just self I just wanted to work on it, right? Like I look back at now, going, "No, you, it was never going to be a Parker Brothers game." 
Um, what was it about they, uh, about that game that you were, were latched onto? I, it's the only game I've been I've worked on that I still like will take off the shelf and want to play. And I don't. I think it's just it scratches that itch of being eleven again and being at summer camp and just guys are telling a story. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? Um, it just puts all of these tropes together, and then this story emerges. And sometimes the story doesn't. You know, it ends too soon or it ends too late or the dice don't go your way. But by and large, it works great. And when it works great, it works very, very great. I don't have a better word for it. Um, I don't I, I just I remember Mike Gray put the game down in what would happen is it came in from Bruce Glasgow, the inventor. And he said, try this game. I'm not sure if it's a Parker Brothers game or an Avalon Hill game, but you seem like a person who would like it because you played a lot of role playing. And I played it. And I got done, and I was like, what just happened? Hmm. What just happened? And I'm like, first of all, it's an Avalon Hill game. It's not a Parker Brothers game. And then I, then I got to people like, you got to play this game I just played. And I played it like all afternoon. And it had um, some things we knew we wanted to change and some things that we didn't understand. But the core idea of, wait, wait, we got a whole different story. And uh, it just captivated us. And I just sat down and started uh, saying like, okay, how do we, how do we get this to market? What do we need to change? What do we keep? What's, what's the heart of it? Um, what's the parts that people are getting confused? Yeah. And then, and then like a year and a half later, there was, you know, we thought for a while that Stephen King might be a sponsor, like Stephen King presents. Mm-hmm. Oh. So if you look at the, so I'm from Maine. So I put a number of Stephen King references in there. And a lot of the characters had French Canadian names like mine. Mm. And then in 2001, Hasbro finally said, no, no, this isn't a Parker Brothers game. It's an Avalon Hill game and sent it over to Wizards. And I, it was like one of the most crushing days of my professional so life. I remember I came home and my daughter was like, too. And she's like, you don't seem like daddy. Oh. I was actually, yeah, I was just sad. Like, no, it's fine. And I snapped out of it and, you know, moved on. And then I saw it when it came out and liked that they said, OK, they got rid of the beginner and the advanced and they cleaned up this rule and that rule. But what's interesting is in the core game to stay are some still some leftover stuff from it being a Stephen King game. There's like a reference to a short story of his called The Boogeyman uh, from his 1978 book, Night Shift. Um, that's still in there. It's the closet, the closet event card. And then some of the, most of the characters had French Canadian names. And I think some still do, don't they? I Jenny Leclerc. Jenny Leclerc. Yeah. There's not a k at the end. Yeah, it's Jenny Leclerc. Would Jenny, not Leclerc. Do you know. Jenny, Jenny Leclerc. Jenny Leclerc. <laughs> so that that comes back to, and then if you look like the birth dates on people in there are like my, like a wedding anniversary and my brother's birthday. Oh, no my oh, yeah. birthday. Yeah. Like, and the hobbies that kids have, like, oh, that's my hobbies. That's my, that's my college roommate's birthday. Dolls? Like, Is that one of yours? No, no. It's more miniatures. Cooking. <laughs> cooking and baseball. Oh, yeah. They're not dolls. They're miniatures. <laughs> I just it's had totally this conversation different. with Bart the other day. <laughs> That's so. So then, coming back to work on uh, Betrayal Legacy, it's almost like this a homecoming, a homecoming to the haunted house on the hill. Yeah, that's why Shelley said that. I was like, "Yeah, I don't have time, but yeah, let's do this." And uh, I still have I mean, the I, email. Yeah, you have it framed, and uh, mm-hmm. you printed it out on a color copier <laughs> behind you. Yep. Still have it. I knew. I knew going in. I was like, "Okay, the betrayal system can be like a little unstable, and the legacy game can be a little unstable. So I'm going to try to make these instabilities work together as opposed to against each other." Um, but it's a system I knew very well, and I knew ways to sort of tweak it a little bit to make it work with the legacy system. And 
uh, started working on a story and how what carries on from one game to the next? How is it you finish game one and then when you start game two, like what's the same and what's different? In a game filled with murder, you can't play the same character. Right. Most of, you can't count on playing. That's the exception rather than the norm. So how does that work? And what we decided was each game is a is a takes place a generation later, and you play members of the same family. So you're playing a family. The family is a character, and the house is a character. And then the individual people you play are you're almost like the NPCs in the larger you know in the house's story. And uh, we got that worked out. And then I went out. And we had this really cool two day meeting. That was the best. We out, yeah, we worked out uh, the the story. And I don't remember how we did it, but the prologue. Yep. We just all of a sudden, the prologue just came out and changed very little from that idea to the final one. There was much screaming in that meeting. Lots yeah. of like, yes, yes, this is so good. I remember hearing it from you were, across the were room. You like, I was oh, like, one oh, day I'm going to play this game. One day I will <laughs> be a experience that joy. <laughs> Two years later. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, almost, almost exactly. Yeah. It was December of 2016. And, uh, and then we, we had various members, various teams. We had some people inside Wizards and some outside people and some writers and some designers and some developers. And we spent from December of 2016 to April of this year working on it. That's crazy. I don't know. I mean, it seemed like a lot of work from my perspective. Shelly was doing a lot of work. <laughs> yes, yeah, so much. You did. It was. you. I don't even know how. I don't even know. I don't know. I know there were many spreadsheets involved. Yeah, no, it's it, something about this game. Just uh, I was emailing with the original inventor, Bruce, over Thanksgiving. He yeah. was saying, oh, liked how it came out. I'm like, thanks for letting me play in your sandbox, you know, twice now for a year and a <laughs> Get half. Get on my time. sandbox. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> just, having a, just having a good time. And I remember most games, especially a game of this complexity, when I would get done, I'd be like, oh, I need a vacation. And I remember sitting and typing the last text I had to write and I finished it and I just got sad. I'm like, oh, Aww. it's not. Now, there was another like four months of editing and proofing, but there was no more creating to be done. Right. Aw. I would have thought you would have been thrilled. No well, more. There's always, uh, there's always more stories to tell, though, of course. Uh, but more ways to have people murder each other. Well, it has to be Wait, very... Wait, we murder each other in this game? You, Tito. <laughs> <laughs> Someone you gets and haunted... I yeah, right. We'll make a pact right now. Until to so, never murder. So I guess that's my question. I mean, there's people who have played Betrayal at House on the Hill. Uh, does it work? Obviously, there's there's differences, but does it work generally similarly? Where you know you're all uh, exploring the house in that generation, and then a haunt is triggered, and then there is a, a, a good guy and a bad guy or sides there. Is that yeah, how it works? Generally. Um, when the game starts, it's 1666. There's an outside region now. You're allowed to go outdoors. Oh. So you have the grounds of the house. But the house itself is very small. It's like five tiles plus the starting tiles. And then every time you play, the house gets a little bit bigger. There's these tile planks that come in the game. They're almost like a deck of cards, but out don't. of cardboard. Oh, don't Do not open them, them out. until the game tells you. Sorry. He's, some, he said with had, pained expression on his face. It's happened. We've had some people, cardboard to punch out, do, do, and they get all the way to the bottom. They look at the bottom thing. It says, do not punch these out until we told this, like, covers the bottom yeah. one so you don't know it. And next time, we'll pack them. Key learning. Yep. We'll Key pack them the other way so it's on top. And they've already separated, and they have no idea which goes to which tile plank. So I like to mention it on every interview, not to do that. Makes total sense. Um, I... 
was always enticed by the envelope in Risk Legacy that said, do not open. Ever. Ever. That. Ever? Ever. Yeah, do not open, period, ever, period. That was me being a DM. You know what that is? That is you walk into a featureless room, there's a lever on the wall. Yep. It's not if it's going to be pulled. It's just who's going to finally decide to pull it. Yeah. Did you open the envelope? I've not. I've not ever opened that. I listened to rules. Okay. This is when they're about board games. There are. (laughs) There were four different types of envelopes. I don't even know which one you have because I wanted to be able to sit here and say, I don't know if you should open because one of them's good. Really? Yeah. God, it's like the best. You're like DM'd for the largest number of people ever by doing that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, one of, one of them is, I mean, it's been like eight years or seven years, so I can probably talk about it generally. One of them is good, but only if you're there. So if you're chicken out and don't want to be there, one of them is bad, but only if you're there. Oh, one of them is like neutral and one of them is just kind of bad for the world. Nice. <sighs> now I got to I got to crack open that old We're gonna have to copy. order more copies. But I told you not to open it ever because three of them are kind of bad. Yeah. But even the bad stuff in that game is super fun and interesting. Yeah, that that one was the legacy game where it was the it was the first one, so it was I had this freedom to sort of just be a little goofy. Mm-hmm. And um, Risk is so, I mean, it's a it's a very well designed game. It's got lots of staying power, but not a lot of people like it. <laughs> is a nice way to say it. The actual Risk mechanics of 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 how to uh, 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 fight. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think that's as compelling as the layer that you put on top of it, right? The layer. I had, I had done a number of risk games by that point. I had done. Uh, you still have Risk Twenty Two Ten AD in your line? Yep. Which I've never actually played. So that's my that's my game that's been in print the longest. Really? really? Two thousand one till now, seventeen years continuously in print. That's pretty so. badass. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I got a salary, not a royalty. Yeah. So so um, so Hasbro's make it out on that one. Yeah, it's. I'm, I'm not sure. It's, how much they're making out these days, but uh, I'm glad it's fun to be like the longest game in print. Uh, so I done that a couple star Wars games, a couple Lord of the Rings games, like a two player game, a couple revisions. So I had this sort of like toolbox of things that worked in risk and didn't, and risk did a lot of things really cool and really well for being the first of its kind in 1959. And like a lot of things didn't in age. Well, it's like first edition B and D, which I still love. Yeah. There's, I mean, I, as someone who liked rolling lots of dice and, uh, you know, throwing little pieces across the board when you lose, uh, I have a fond memory of, of, of playing Risk as a kid. But yeah. if, you were to, if you were to try to convince someone who's maybe not necessarily as much of a board gamer, which most of my friends were, to play a game, they never wanted to play Risk with me because I knew the system so well that I could just win and they never wanted to play with it. So, but what I liked about Risk Legacy was that it changed up that, Dynamic, like you were very much conscious of being like, okay, if one player is getting too uh, 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 too much spotlight, for lack of a better word, yeah. then there was ways to kind of spread that around to the other players. Yeah, it really worked well for people who didn't mind uh, getting aggressive with their friends. Like, oh, you're too far ahead of things, and we need to gang together and, and get Greg because he's won the past two games. But for people who wanted the game to balance, you could get a real runaway leader syndrome. Yeah. Right. They're like, well, it seemed mean to pick on him. Like, well, that's picking on people is part of risk. That's yeah, that's part of the game. And diplomacy. Yeah. And diplomacy. Yeah, well, everyone should play diplomacy no. once. 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 Everyone who's interested in games or game design or the history of games should play it once. I'm done then. Very, very few people take that box. 
should should play it more times because it is just a rage making machine. Uh, I, really I want to play does. it again with Shelly. Nope. <laughs> See, I was a very loyal diplomacy player. I was like, "Yep, we're on the same team now." Do you know what I learned though? What? It wasn't really Ben. Who was it? I mean, he did. He he was terrible. We're talking about and, a a, a diplomacy game played almost three years ago. At this but point. apparently, there. I know. I'm still holding on. There was a rule that. Um, Chris Dupuis actually misinterpreted. Oh, it's, which is how I actually lost my country. Oh, if they played oh, by because no. then it came up again once I was out of the game, sulking and pouting. <laughs> it came up again, and they realized that they had played wrong, and uh, that if they had followed the rule, I would not have actually. It was like something like we sh- <clears throat> we should have like bounced off each other. You could have bounced, yeah. but you didn't. But yeah. we didn't. Oh, they, I see. They, Speaking they of which. Over. Chris Dupuis, formerly of Wizards of the Coast, got that job because he was my, you know, I think in part, because he was the developer on Risk Legacy. Nice. Yes. It all comes full circle. All of he it. knows all about breaking down your down. rules. Yeah. 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 He was like a playtester. He had left Hasbro and he was a playtester and he just took it and was like, nope, I'm organizing this. I'm doing this. He found all the rules loopholes. He like cleaned up all the, he played like so many campaigns of that and turned it from a sort of shaggy good idea to something that could be released you know, that mm-hmm. people could play without it breaking from the very beginning. So, Well, he's responsible for me losing my country, in addition to all that good stuff. Well, I'm not sure that was so bad, because you, <laughs> uh, you, you got to be done with diplomacy earlier. I guess so. I got, got the to, first one out. You got to tell a story many, many times. Yeah, you yeah. Have many, a good, many, Craig's like, many times. <laughs> many, <laughs> many times. You just trusted the wrong uh, uh, player. Well, okay, so... It must be feel good that this game's out in the wild and it's being very well received. It is being very well received. Uh, yeah, the the team is sort of scouring the internet every place we can find to try to answer questions or figure out where we left the little rules loophole. Um, and we're finding some, which I knew we would for a game of this complexity, but we're finding yes. a lot fewer than I thought. That's good. So. We have our first general review of the whole thing on Board Game Geek, very top level. Um, people seem to be really liking it. Uh, I'm Everything just, I've it, seen has been very, very positive. Me too. I'm, I'm very excited. You know what's interesting, though? It's been out for over two weeks. Yeah. And Board Game Geek is where I tend to go for most of these things. Is This probably exists someplace, and I don't know where it is, so people f- feel free to point me to it. I haven't seen one session report like where mm. people like wrote, you know, in character, here's what happened. I cannot wait. I want to see people's histories. I want them to take photos of the back of their character cards when they're done. I just want to yeah. read the family history because I think yeah, that is going to be so much fun. Usually like with Risk or any of these other legacy games, some group says, oh, we're going to document it. And then every week or two, you get like chapter two, chapter three, and yeah. you right. can follow along the whole thing. And people really take to writing these short stories. And I'm sure they will come. I'm just like, well, I just want one. <laughs> please just See, give please me some validation. We'll do ours. We'll put ours out there. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Thank we totally will. Much. That's a good call. Yeah, um, I, mean, I think a, a needy designer. Yes. So. Yeah. You're like, I need feedback right away. Feedback. Right. Justify it. It's very different than, you know, uh, putting out a book or a movie or anything like that, that you get like a instant gratification kind of reviews from. I think people, especially with a game like, like this, that demands, you know, certain amount of time to be spent with it. Like, yeah. People are just digesting it. Yeah, and it's fine. I'm not really saying um, that I need, you know, validate my existence. <laughs> but I, I just, uh, looking for all the rules, I noticed the other day someone said, oh, has there been a session report yet? I'm like, there hasn't. 
you know, it's been like the usual thing. Did we play this right? Did we play that right? Does this item work? You know, where's this found in the rule book? Yeah. Um, but then people are like, oh, loving this, loving this, you know, having a great time. Question about chapter six. Nice. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, the way you've been describing it as this being this, this hybrid between board games and uh, role-playing games, I think that's going to have a lot of appeal for people because so many people have, you know, spread their, 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 their time gaming with each other, you know, in, in one of those two activities. Yeah. I would like to say in this game uh, that out of all the legacy games I've worked on, this one was designed to be the most replayable when it's done. So you will play 14 chapters, you'll play a prologue, and then you'll play chapters 1 through 13. So it ends with chapter 13, which is scarier than just numbering them 1 to 14, of course. Um, Very then when you're done, you won't have any more legacy stuff in there. There'll be no more stickers, no more writing on things. Um, it will basically be done. And then you'll have your own version of Betrayal at House on the Hill, different from the base game, 50 different haunts, slightly different tiles, slightly different rules that you can then just play whenever. And in fact, you have only seen 14 haunts out of the 51 that are in the box. So you have a lot more to play when you're done. You just have a different game than any other person on the planet. Which I love. Yeah, everybody's not, got their own not, unique copy. Yeah. Not, yeah, not radically. You'll have a deck of cards that'll be slightly different. And like the characters and the tiles and everything will have these little things that, you know, overall, if you played someone else's, you would see some things that seem dramatically different. But you wouldn't have, you won't see things that, you know, everything will be a little different. Oh, that, oh, that. Oh, look at your dining room. Oh, where'd that come from? Oh, I've never seen that before. Mm, that's super um, cool. Yeah. So you'll have your own haunted house that you can explore. And I do like to bring that up because I think there's this perception that you're like, oh, I only get 14 games and it's done. It's like, well, no, you you kind of wear it in for you tell a story for 14 games. You tell your own ghost story, your own history of the house. And then it picks up uh, like just where the other one was, you know, like in a haunted house on a hill. That's And amazing. it's also probably important to note that you don't have to have played the original one to play this version. You don't have to know anything about the, no, the first you don't. version. If you, if you haven't played the original and you haven't played a legacy game before. Take some time to read the rules carefully or poke around or um, I think there's a video of how to play. There's who yeah. did the how to play video. Uh, um, Geek and Sundry. Geek and Sundry. Nice. Uh, because there's some things you do that are permanent changes. Like you don't open everything at the beginning. Like you're going to do things as you go on. Think of it as a, you know, a little bit. Of, you get a little bit of a t- at a time. Yep. A guided. Um, yeah. But you don't you don't need to play it like we we assume that many people have played the original or played a legacy game. But we tried to write the rules assuming that you had played neither. That's um, if you have played it before, at the beginning of the book, we highlight the 10 big things that are different from the original game. It's not everything, but it's it's 10. Please still do read the rule book because there's other little tiny things in there, but you can sort of get the glossary of the highlights and go, oh, okay, and then you know be up and running pretty quickly. That's awesome. I can't wait. I can't wait for more people to get in there. And uh, maybe part of the reason uh, folks haven't been writing or publishing so much of that stuff is it's still, uh, they don't want to spoil anything just like yeah, me. I it's, it's, it's hard. I didn't want to get spoiled, one. uh, you know, being in the yeah, same room I, with you guys. I'm, uh, I'm not really sort of complaining about it so much as just saying it's, it's an interesting thing. Cause it was just brought up yesterday, like the writers and designers and developers were all talking about, do we get this right? Do we get this? Oh yeah, it's, it's here on the board book. We did cover this. And like, even now I got an email from the, the head developer today. He goes, wait, I just figured out in free play, this one card might break this one haunt if this happened. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, so you're in free play. You have to draw this card. This card has to be drawn on this floor. You have to be playing this haunt and this has to be here. He's like, yeah, I just thought of it yesterday that we missed that. 
I wonder how you, how did you miss that? Crazy. <laughs> I'm like, it's and we thought about it. We're like, eh, actually, it doesn't break it. It just makes it a little suboptimal. So, but we're building an FAQ for stuff like that. That's amazing. Yeah, and that's very much like a first edition D and D thing, right? Go. They're like, all right, yeah. here's a corner case. But hit the whole. Here it is. The whole team. Like, we're done. It's out. We should be moving on to other projects, and we're still like brainstorming about like things we might have missed. So it's a real passion project for us. That's true. I love it. Uh, yeah. Do you think? Uh, I mean, I might. I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn here, but do you think there's a way to serialize this experience? Oh, do a sequel to this? Yeah, I mean, you've done that with uh, uh, with Pandemic did, Legacy One and Two. Shelley, and... did you pay him to do that? <laughs> I swear to God, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it begs the question, right? You're like, oh, here's a continuous story, and you well, have a thing at the end. Probably oh. gonna ask the question. Yeah. I am very, very busy right now, but Shelly and I in the new year will talk about other projects we might work together or might not work together. And I've got a lot going on. And what I've learned to do is just say, not right now, I'm too busy. Because if I say yes, and then another project starts and my old projects aren't done, like I I just need to take the holidays off and get my head head together. But I enjoyed working on this tremendously. That's awesome. And it shows because it's beautiful. And awesome. I actually do spend a lot of time going through Twitter and searching Betrayal Legacy, <laughs> which like a lot of tweets come up that have nothing to do with this game, which just yeah, happen I, to have the words Betrayal and Legacy in them. I learned to put it in quotes. Yes, that is also very helpful. But there was, I, I even kept a little diary of all of the really good ones that people have talked about Betrayal Legacy. I'm oh, yeah. I'm do a little nice. reading for you now. This one was one of my favorites. As the first one killed, I greatly enjoyed the prologue in Betrayal Legacy. It was the most fun I've had watching everyone else freak out. (laughs) They were the first ones killed? Which I also like because there is, yeah, because sometimes you die and then you're like, great, guess I'll just sit here and watch. But this is a good one to, it's okay. You're still going to have a lot of fun. Um, Betrayal Legacy is amazing. I don't think I've ever had so much fun playing a game and that was just the prologue. Um, Rob and Avalon Hill are monsters, and I love them for it. So I take that as a compliment. That is true. That's actually true. You can tell by my scarf. (laughs) Holy crap, that first one in Betrayal Legacy is simply the best. Looking forward to the next match. You are, you are so, you're so lucky for tomorrow, Tito. Because I don't, I don't even know. Because you don't know things. But I will be singing, simply the best. You will. Oh, and here's a good one. Everyone else should just stop making legacy board games because Betrayal Legacy is by far the most intuitive and effective application of the concept. So you are free now, Rob. You're done. Yes, children's card <laughs> games from here on out. <laughs> oh, well, we'll take some of those. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do that. So. Yes. So awesome. anyway, there's tons of tons of good reviews out there. So. Right. And it's available everywhere. everywhere. You buy games now. Unless it's sold out. Jump yeah. in. Yeah. It's perfect for the holidays if you're going to be spending a lot of time with the same group of people uh, that uh, you want to kill be able to all. kill them over and over again in 13 <laughs> episodes. Sounds about right Basically for the holidays. most people's and holidays. Yeah. It depends on how you really view the holidays that yeah. may be spot on. Yes. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much uh, uh, for joining us, Rob, uh, and making uh, this game with Shelly. Yes, uh, I can't thank w- you. I can't wait to jump into it tomorrow. Me too. So, well, enjoy. all. I'm sure you'll be fine. I'm sure your character will live for 300 years. Nice. And there'll be no problems, and no one will go insane. And you'll be like, I don't see what the fuss was. We just right. 
we just farmed and read books for 300 years. Like <laughs> yeah, and built a, built a really nice house. I'm going to draw the farming yeah. card. We're just going to work yeah. on our house. Don't <laughs> yeah. worry about it. I you got it. the special one in 10,000 game where none of the haunts are in there. It's just like, oh, it's over. How was it? You die in your sleep. It was so sweet. It was a golden ticket. <laughs> it was so in great. <laughs> Don't open this envelope. Awesome. Well, oh. thank you. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're going to have fun with it tomorrow. So we'll okay. let you know Thanks how it goes. For having me on. That Rob Davio is a very good uh, game designer and so uh, good. a good talker. Yes, he's I could one of my favorite people ever. Chat with him forever. You've spent a lot of time with him. We didn't I really have. get into your, your world-class tour that you've been on with him. I was. You were all around Kicked the world. Kicked it off in Salem and ended in Madison, Wisconsin. It was actually really sad to That's, end. Yeah? I, got really, I saw him like every week. Yeah, you guys were like... Uh, 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 you know, buddies being yep. like, heads up, high Trail fives, buddies. let's play some some games, teach yep. them. Spreading the good word of Betrayal Legacy. Yeah. Did you feel like you... So how did you do that and not know what's going to happen? Um, or, oh, I do know. I know. Like, oh. the, I know. I actually know a lot. Oh. I just haven't played... I know the story, but I haven't played more than like the first four, I think. Okay. And those were pretty early. Okay. So you know, like the 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 setup, but you don't necessarily yeah. know where it's going to go from no, from there. I do not. All right, and there will still be rules. Don't all look at me when something comes up. You're all going to be like, "What what do we do here?" Oh yeah, and then I'm going to, I don't know. We're all going to look at Shelly and be like, "You know me. this game inside and out." What page of the rule book is that on? <laughs> is there an apostrophe? I <laughs> or a comma? <laughs> don't ask me that question. Don't know. No, you probably but won't know. Anyway, but you'll know the spirit of the I know rules. the spirit. <laughs> I know what Rob intended. <laughs> we'll just call him. What would Rob do? You know what? Let's just call him. Let's, every time there's a possibility. Hey, Rob. Yeah. Actually, we used to have our, our weekly phone call on Tuesdays. <clears throat> I like. And we kind of like going back to those calls. That's got to be one of the most fun things for him when, when people he them? personally knows and is like, "What do we do in this situation?" Hey, Rob, we have a question. We, you, <laughs> We're in the middle of a game right now. It's three in the morning. That's like I do that to Jeremy Crawford all the time. I'm like, I'm in the middle hey, of a D and D game. Hey, Jeremy, I know it's three in the morning, <laughs> but what do you do in this situation? He would probably be like, Oh, hi, Greg. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> your Jeremy impression. Oh, wait. <laughs> it's very much like your C three PO. Let me try to do a Jeremy impression. Oh, no. <laughs> That's, like, <laughs> <laughs> That's the exact same thing you did before you did the prepping. <laughs> Except I was sitting up. Oh. No, wait. What would he say? What would, what would Jeremy say? <laughs> but now I was sitting up. Did you notice my posture changed? Your, your, your posture did very much change. So, no one who's listening would be able to hear the difference. You couldn't tell in my voice? Maybe you, maybe it was a big difference. You're right. You know, oh. they're definitely, uh, you, know, you got taller all of a sudden. Well, he's very tall. He's very tall. That yeah. makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> wow. uh, um, that is a work in progress. It is. You, you're you going to have to I gotta get in front of a mirror. <laughs> Study all of uh, his tweets. You're never going to, you can't even tell the difference. I think you us. ran out of material. Like you wanted to say something else in that voice, but it you did. couldn't think of anything that would be good. So no. uh, I think that's what you need to do. You need to memorize some yeah. of his tweets. He doesn't and, uh, say everything. like the same thing a lot. Like he does, I don't know. Does he have a catchphrase or something? I don't think so. No. 
I don't think uh, I don't think C three PO says "Oh dear" all the time either. <laughs> no, he really doesn't. But that's a thing in uh, in when you're doing impressions. Is like you have like a a phrase that gets you into it. Yeah. Right. So you just gotta have that for for yeah. all of your impressions that we're adding to uh, every week now. It seems more yeah. and more impressions. I'm trying. And I keep selling up your uh, your voice. You know your uh, yeah, voice acting. I, I'm skills. not ready to take on clients. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Soon, I gotta push you, right? Well, when we write our book, yeah, then well, maybe we'll take turns doing the audio. Can we perform it? Yes. All right. Obviously, I'm liking this. Maybe it'll be like an, a, a, another series of Dragon Talk where we just do it on. Well, no, we won't actually publish this book. We'll just do it uh, on a microphone. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It actually sounds like a really fun idea. We don't need we don't need no stinking keyboard. Maybe we'll do it from the after action reports from Betrayal Re- Legacy. Why don't we? Yes. Yes. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Okay. We might have recap our some, games. Yeah. Why yeah. Not? Yeah. 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 We'll do some yeah, some yeah, podcast yeah. recaps. Yeah. All right. I can't wait. Uh, so, for you to find out more information about this new project that Shelley and I just conceived, you can follow me at Greg Tito on Twitter. Yep. Or me at Shelley Moo That's on right. Twitter. You're on the Twitters as well. I am. Yes. Very well. Uh, if you're interested in finding out about Dungeons and Dragons, because this is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast, I mean, I obviously, you know we've you been talking tell. about a lot of other things, uh, including cooking shows and uh, main. Nailed it. Uh, but today, you can follow Dungeons and Dragons at Dungeons, uh, sorry, Wizards underscore D N D on Twitter. Yes. Uh, or if you want to get all the content uh, that you ever need to know, DungeonsandDragons.com or dragonmag.com because that's where we put all of the stuff from Dragon Plus which you can download on your phone and your uh, tablet for easy fun viewing but of course you can always do it on the web at dragonmag.com there's yes. going to be a new issue coming out in December can't wait it's going to be fantastic I think there's something about Dungeon Mayhem in there. there might be some mayhem happening mayhem. there <clears throat> alright I think we should uh, <laughs> I don't close know this my episode. voice is going yeah. what, do you have a frog in your throat yes or is it a rock? I got a rock in my throat. Ah! Oh! Ah! 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 Ah!